few years ago, my wife and I did a nutrition education program cooking class. It was a very successful in terms of numbers and we had a good time. One of the biggest we ever did was too big for all of the work it took. Nutrition classes are wonderful outreaches. They reach a group of people that you reach in no other way and they're different from any other program that we do as Seventh-day Adventists. <coughs> and the reason that they're different is that they attract people who are curious and not necessarily moved to make some change, big change. Now there's some that do, but you do a smoking cessation program and people want to quit smoking. You do a weight control program, they want to, stop, they want to lose weight. Do a stress control program, they want to be happier and less stressful. Um, you know, whatever you're dealing with, you, if you attract people who you want, that want to lower their risk for coronary heart disease, well, cooking is part of that. Uh, you have an exercise class, they want to improve their fitness. Um, and you get people who are motivated for that. In cooking classes, you get a lot of people who are curious. And you have the wonderful opportunity of kind of bringing them in. Anyway, we have, my wife and I have done many, many, many cooking classes over the years. We enjoy doing them. And uh, we're doing more of train the trainer now than we do anything else. But we had finished this class and it had been four nights in a row. I'm sorry, it had been, it had been four weeks in a row once a week. And we'd had about almost 200 people there and it was, you know, that means a lot of samples and a lot of preparation and uh, cooking schools are more intensive than any other cook type of class you do, even if you've done hundreds of them in your life. Um, but they're a lot of fun. Anyway, there were two ladies from the church, both of them I'm sure were at least 70 years old, who had volunteered to come and wash dishes every night. And they would come not for the class, but they would just come when it was time to start working. They were an enormous help. And on the last evening, everybody had left. We'd had a wonderful time. We'd said goodbye to everybody that had come to the class, and my wife and I were helping to clean up. And I was carrying a dish, a, a tray of dirty dishes to the sink. And these two ladies, one of them had her hands in the so soapy water and the other one was rinsing and, and drying off when she could. And they didn't see me coming. And as I approached, the lady with her hands in the soapy water pulled one hand out and took and put it up like this and turned to her companion and said, phew, we don't have to do this for another two years. Now, I know what she was saying. I have full sympathy with that. They were probably a little bit old for the amount of work that they had volunteered, that they had gotten themselves into, and they were tired. I understand that. Had deep appreciation for their efforts and help. On the way home that night, I said to my wife, while we were driving home, I said, I have a question for you. And she said, you always have questions for me. I said, well, I have a very important one for you. She said, you always, all of your questions are important. And she said, what is it? And I said, well, when you and I had first met and when we were in college at Pacific Union College, 
if I had said to you, you know, April, I'm really enjoying getting acquainted with you. I'm enjoying spending time with you. It's a lot of fun, but you're in school and I'm in school. You have, she was a piano major at that time. You have lots of practice to do. You have a recital coming up that you're preparing for. Um, I have papers to write, you do too. We have exams to prepare for. So what I'd like to do is make an appointment with you two years from now and we can visit again. Would you be my wife? And she looked at me and she said, you know the answer to that. <laughs> and I did. I mean, it would work the other way too. When we, when we build relationships, we have to spend time. Making friends requires an investment of time. And we don't win souls without making friends first. And it takes an investment of time. And what I learned from that comment of, phew, we don't have to do it for two years, was that we need to rethink how we do our health programs. You know, the typical health program is very intense. Doesn't matter really what you're looking at, whether it's a CHIP program or depression recovery or whatever. Four nights a week for four weeks interrupts the life of everybody that comes. And you know, we live in a day and age today when we really want to attract more than the retired and the, and the different people in society. We want to attract the people who, have, who are younger, who are more educated, who have children at home. They have all of their activities. You know, we're not talking about at church school. They've got all their sporting and their after school activities, their extracurricular things, their tutoring. It goes on and on and on. Mothers are, fra are, are frazzled taking their kids here, there, and everywhere in this society today. And then we're saying, come to a cooking class and spend a whole evening uh, once every week and, or, or four times in a week or five times in a week. And we're not really attracting a lot of people, plus that we could, plus we're doing the same thing to our own people who are part of the staff because they live busy lives. You know, I often ask audiences, how many of you have more free time today than you did 20 years ago? Now, I know when you were 20 years ago, you weren't worried about free time. But uh, for the rest of us, uh, we look at our lives and go, you know, and I talk to my friends who have retired. And, you know, it's interesting. When I was in, in college, I looked forward to being out of college so that I would be away from the press of school and all of the burden of school, and I'd have more free time. But that isn't the way it works. When you're in the everyday work, and I, I mean, and I've been working as a pastor, I've worked as a health educator, as a conference director now at the General Conference, I have less time than I've ever had in my life. Um, it's a busy, busy life. And uh, I, I, it, but the problem is, it's not just me. It's everybody in church, it's everybody out there in the community. So when we try to hold classes in the community on a very frequent basis, 
we're up against some significant odds. And we run the risk. We not only wear people in the community out, we wear our own staff out in doing it. And I've seen it over and over from a conference health ministry standpoint, where we had many very talented people doing wonderful CHIP programs, and they only did it for so long, and then they were burned out. And they found that we, even though they did wonderful programs, that their attendance began to dwindle because they had burned out the community as well. Now, there's nothing wrong with those programs. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just simply observing that we need to rethink how we do things. And we need to recognize that health ministry and health outreach is not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And if we're going to build relationships with people, we need to do that over a long period of time. And when we begin to foster relationships and establish a relationship, and then we drop it, we run the risk of never being able to pick it up, or it takes a lot more effort than it did in the beginning to rebuild that relationship. So unfortunately, we have this habit now of doing episodic health programs. And I want to share with you, they're high intensity, great programs, but they burn people out. So I'd like to share with you a different concept this afternoon, one that I have seen work over and over again in a most surprising way. Started 25 years ago. It was actually shortly after this Phew, we don't have to do it for two more years experience. A church called my wife and I and said, would you come and do a cooking class? And I said, nah, we're not going to do it. We're too busy. They said, oh, but you have to. You're the conference health ministries director. And I said, no, I don't have to. And I knew this person, and I was kind of pulling their chain a little bit. And they said, but how can we get you? And I said, only on one basis. I said that we come and train some people in your church. And secondly, that we, you do it on a basis you've never thought of. They said, well, what do you mean? I said, we will train you to do a cooking class once a month. But you'll do it 10 to 12 times a year. They said, wow, we've never thought of that. They said, we'd be interested in that. And I was talking, talked to their pastor also, and he was very interested. That pastor changed, and the individuals that were first involved, one of them died, and the program seemed quite successful in the beginning, but then it, it faltered with new leadership. But at about that same time, we were the members of a church, and they wanted us to do a cooking class, and we said, no, we'll do it once a month. I mean, they want it on the traditional basis. So we said, we'll do it once a month. They said, good. That church has been doing a once a month cooking class for 24 years today. Now, when I say once a month, it's probably 10 to 11 times a year. We discovered as we got into it, December was a terrible time in our culture to do anything. Christmas, school programs, all the holidays, all of the, it just, you might as well. And, and then sometimes in, in August, in some communities, especially small communities, 
If you're in a large community, people are ex expect that there will be lots of competition for activities and time, and they just make their choices. But in small communities, there's a high expectation that everybody goes to certain community events. And if, it ha if that event happens to conflict with the night you have planned, you're better off to say, we'll just skip it for this month. And, and we'll, we'll uh, do that. So what does a, what does a low intensity but high impact program look like? It's very simple. You set one month, one day out of each month, and you hold to that religiously, unless it conflicts with a community event. So the local, in a small community, the local basketball team wins their tournament and the, tournament and the state playoff is, you know, is in that, on that particular night. You're better off not to have your program you really need to show sympathy to the community. You may not go, but you need to just not have that, especially if it involves a number of the people who are coming to your program. But it needs to be held to religiously. You need to notify and remind people, which is very easy today with email. Um, we started doing it by postcards and postage, but now it's much cheaper and easier to do. Um, and by uh, electronic means, just remind people, you need to have food samples every night. I've seen many churches say, oh, food samples are too much work, so we'll just have education. No, you need to have the food and the education. People love to come to eat. What, this is what happens if you do it without the food. You will get people, you will announce that you're having a class on exercise, and you'll get people who are interested in exercise. You'll announce that you're doing something on stress management. You'll get people who are stressed out. You will not necessarily get the people who are also interested in exercise. You have a meal there. Everybody comes to every meeting because they love to eat and they love to fellowship. Now, it's a simple meal, and it needs to be seasonal appropriate, and it can be, you know, you wouldn't serve a hot soup on a night like this, but in the wintertime, you, would, you could serve a hot soup and a slice of bread and maybe one, one fruit. I'm talking simple. We're not talking about anything complex. These are not banquets. But if you do that, people will come, and they'll come consistently. Oh, I know, they've, you know, grandma dies, and there's always the various family things that keep people away for it. But they'll let you know, and they'll come back. And that's what you want. Um, so you do, so I am really a proponent today of low intensity but high impact programs. So you need to have a meal and you need to have education. And you know, when you do, when you do this over a period of 10 years, you can cover every aspect of health and you can cover it in meaningful ways and you can come back to it in different ways using different speakers, different videos, different presentations. The program should not last any longer than an hour and a half at the most and that includes the meal and you begin, by, you begin the evening by having um, you know, a little spiritual thought and a, and, a, and a prayer shouldn't last more than five minutes that's appropriate to the topic of the evening. You introduce the food that's going to be served. You serve that food. They sit down at tables. They enjoy the fellowship 
hopefully with church members sitting at the tables. I, I have always mandated that, that church members could not sit at a whole table together. Uh, they had to sit with, with non-members from the community. I'll tell you about a little church that did this. Uh, it was a dying logging community in the state of Idaho, in the Panhandle. Uh, the town was half the population. It had been 10 years before. The church was, was down to about seven or eight members. It had had a church school. It had been a thriving church at one time. Now most people were moving away. It was made up by mostly old people. And one of the older ladies called me and said, what can we do for our community? So we came down, we talked about it. I shared some ideas, and they said, we want to do that. And they began, it was in Kamei, Idaho, they began with this simple, high-impact but low-intensity program. They served a simple meal. <clears throat> I came down several times to help them in the beginning, help them find other resources to make presentations, made some video recommendations and other things. And uh, <coughs> they organized the church, they organized the food. There was always the education. There was always a short, very small uh, food demonstration of how to prepare what one of the main items, the major item that had been served, whether it be soup or whether it be bread or whatever it was, not a long thing. That never took more than you know, maybe 10 minutes out of the evening, 10, 12 minutes at the very most. Um, and they began doing that. And two years into it, they had to move to the local high school because this fellowship hall and church wasn't big enough to house the people who were coming. And then they called me in panic one day and they said, our church has voted to do a satellite evangelism series and it's going to interfere with our program in October. What do we do? And I said, oh, that's really very simple. I said, just tell everybody at the program before that you're having this series of, of, of uh, satellite meetings and everybody's invited to come to the church. You're more than welcome to come. It's religious in nature. Tell them what it's about. Give them a flyer. And I said, better yet, why don't you go to each of their doors and invite them personally? I mean, you have you know, only 60 people. And if you have two months to do that, you can get to every door, no problem. They said, oh, we'll do that. And they did. Now, this is a church that had about 10 people attending church. And they were all members, and they probably had about 15 church members. That's all that was left. Two years into the program of this monthly health program, this evangelistic series came up by a satellite. Make a long story short, when the satellite meetings had finished, uh, well, when the satellite meetings began, 32 people from the health class, from the community, came to the evangelistic meetings. They'd never seen anything like it. That was more than, the, than they. They were thrilled. 18 people made decisions at the end. And in one year's time, 22 people from the health class were baptized into that church. They had more than doubled their membership in a dying community. They did that for 12 years. The church grew to almost 100 people. Um, the first one I told you about this 20-some years, that, this is in a church of probably 400 people. They're still doing it. Other families have taken over. Uh, you know, the first baptism took about six years, uh, but now they are baptizing somewhere between 20 and 25 people every year.
as a result of these monthly health classes. Um, they're making friends. They're doing all kinds of things outside of the class time. They're having picnics in the summertime together. All kinds of social events that they're invited to. And they're drawing them in to become part of the church, to become friends with the church members. And these people can't resist because they're learning and they do a wonderful job of combining health with the gospel. So I, I share that with you as a challenge to rethink the need for turnkey, heavy-duty programs. Do something simple. You'll be surprised at the impact it has on the community and for the Lord's work. All right. You have a good evening. I guess we'll see you at the, I have to speak this evening, I think. And uh, we're going to look, we're going to look at health ministry around the world. I think you'll be really excited about it. And uh, then we'll see you tomorrow morning. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.